to News for the Soul Radio, life-changing talk radio from the uplifting to the unexplained since January 1997. Welcome to News for the Soul's 20th anniversary broadcast series, News for the Soul longest-running spiritual empowerment and exploration broadcast in North America. Started its 21st year in January 2018, and we are just getting warmed up. It's time to take things to the next level, exploring the edge of human consciousness and possibility on planet Earth, as we begin our 21st year with founder and journalist Nicole Marie Whitney at the helm. What's really real, and what's really possible? That is what we want to know. But if you're ready to find out together, Get ready for life-changing talk radio from the uplifting to the unexplained. Platinum Edition, here is News for the Soul. Next on News for the Soul, it's time for Breaking Through with Grace Gideon. Grace is a passionate and dedicated international life coach with a bachelor's in law a master in East-West psychology, and an expert in addictions. Grace combines these skills in her practice to clinically and intuitively diagnose and break through subconscious issues that prevent you from achieving success and fulfillment. She has a unique capacity to tune in to repress psychological and emotional blocks and to teach effective techniques to transform your life in a deep and long-lasting way. And now to help you make your next breakthrough, here's Grace. All right, let's find her on the board and start the right. Hello. Welcome back. How are you? Hello, Nicole. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm excellent and particularly excellent today. (laughs) Um, So we know we have a very exciting show for people today, don't we, Nicole? We do indeed. We do indeed. So hi, everyone. I'm Grace Gideon. And welcome back to Breaking Through with Grace on News for the Soul Life-Changing Talk Radio. In Australia, today is the eve of the super blue blood moon lunar eclipse. This is the first of its kind in over 150 years. So it's a very, very powerful astrological event. And on such a powerful eve where manifestation possibilities are heightened, where clearing blocks are heightened, it's only fitting that with such a unique planetary phenomenon occurring, I have the great pleasure of speaking with another unique and phenomenal leading light. My friend, my mentor, the best-selling author and spiritual teacher, Marianne Williamson will be joining us in just a few minutes. Before I bring Marianne on, I just want to say a little bit about her. Although she needs no introduction for most of us, I just want to acknowledge some of the great contributions that Marianne Williamson has made as a thought leader and a revolutionary. For the last 35 years, Marianne's been one of America's most well-known public voices. 
She's been a popular guest on television programs such as Oprah, Larry King Live, and Good Morning America. As an author, she's even she's had seven of her 12 published books become New York Times bestsellers, and four of these were number one. Her mega bestseller, A Return to Love, is basically a must-read for anybody who takes their psycho-spiritual evolution seriously. There's a particular passage in that book that begins, our deepest fear is not, not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we're powerful beyond measure. This particular quote, is, um, is it went viral before the internet basically uh, became successful. It's, it's been distributed all over the world at, at one point it was attributed to Nelson Mandela and it's now considered an anthem for a contemporary generation of spiritual seekers. Some of Marianne's other books include The Law of Divine Compensation, The Age of Miracles, Everyday Grace, A Woman's Worth, uh, one of my favorites, Illuminata, her prayer book, which is filled with the most beautiful um, soul-enriching uh, Prayers written by Marianne, Healing the Soul of America, A Course in Weight Loss, The Gift of Change, Enchanted Love, A Year of Miracles, and her newest book, Tears to Triumph, The Spiritual Journey from Suffering to Enlightenment. You can see from these titles the broad cross-section of topics that Marianne is able to cover, inspire, and educate upon at a profound level. Marianne is not only a teacher, an author, and I consider the number one inspirational speaker on the planet today, but from personal experience, I know her to be a generous and kind friend, a wonderful mother, a brilliant entrepreneur, a tireless activist, and a political voice, and a woman who cares deeply for the well-being of humanity and the future of our planet. In 2013, Marianne ran for the US Congress as an independent, seeking to right the path of inequality, self-centeredness, and opportunistic behavior that political powers were following at the cost of an ethical and true democracy. In response to the current political climate in America and the global disharmony of our times, Marianne has chosen to dedicate her energies recently to movements such as Sister Giant and to her 2018 Love America Tour. These movements articulate an evolutionary wave of new possibility as principles of higher consciousness are brought to bear on politics. I know many of you have emailed me to say how much you're looking forward to listening to Marianne today and you may even get the chance to speak with her. If you'd like to ask Marianne a question, we'll open up the lines later and take your calls. The number to call in on is 1-646-595-4274 or you can email us on, on the air at tellus.net. I now invite you to join me 
as I welcome onto Breaking Through with Grace, the one and only Marianne Williamson. Hello, Marianne. Hi, Grace. How are you, darling? <laughs> Hello, darling. How are you? I know I'm I shouldn't good, be you. nervous, but I yeah. am. But how, I'm many, so how many hours to be we... having? How many hours have we spent talking, yeah? <laughs> yeah, how many hours? And I'm your biggest fan, in case anyone doesn't know. Oh, you're beautiful. Well, well, I'm your biggest fan, too, and I love you, and I know you have such an amazingly hectic, hectic tour, generally speaking, let alone with the Love America tour. So, And I know that, you know, you've taken some time out to... Um, be with our audience today and um, do you know Marianne I might just say this is not um, rare for Marianne to take time out for people I know that in times when I've lived with Marianne she will have done a huge a huge huge um, uh, big event and then somebody will call call you Marianne at 10 o'clock at night and you'll say oh, Gracie, this person really needs me. And somehow, by the grace of God, Marianne has the energy to invite in um, somebody to her home and say a prayer for them or do an impromptu wedding. (laughs) And beautiful, beautiful, wonderful things. So I'm so proud to say this spiritual um, leader um, walks the walk as well as talks the talk. Marianne, there's so many topics that you've lectured on and written about. It's hard to know where to start. But if I could create two headings, which are clearly at the highest level, one and the same, I'd say that you've got a tremendous body of work that helps the individual heal themselves. And then another equally profound body of work about healing the collective. So individual and group, whether that group is racial, national, or global healing. Is the Course in Miracles the common theme that you apply to both these fields of endeavor? Can you tell us about that a bit? Well, a group is made up of individuals. And so the same psychological <laughs> and emotional phases um, and transitions that an individual goes through, a group goes through. And, you know, anyone who has ever been at any kind of a serious spiritual support group, such as an AA meeting, knows that there is such thing as a group conscience. And because I've worked with audiences uh, in addition to that, uh, working with, you know, spiritual support groups for AIDS and so forth, in addition to that, just working with audiences as much as I have over the last 35 years, I've had a very definite experience of groups having their own psyche, groups having their own personality. And my father told me when I was a little girl, my father was a lawyer, trial lawyer. And he always said, talk to the smartest person on the jury. Now, that's kind of different than this dominant theme of, you know, people say in the United States, you'll never get, you'll never get poor, what is it, um, underestimating the intelligence of the American people. You know, we have a culture in which everything is dumbed down all the time. I don't know how it is in Australia, Hmm. but here in the United States, this is this dumbing down of the culture. But I've always found that my father's um, advice was correct. When he used to say, talk to the smartest person on the jury, that in my career I've noticed that if I talk to an audience and assume nobility, 
and assume intelligence, it's amazing how people rise to the occasion. I've even noticed, for instance, I'll give you an example. Um, as someone who speaks to large groups, I've noticed what happens if I make a mistake. It, let's say I say something and it's a little bit off principle. Um, the whole room, you can feel the whole room gets it. But I also notice if I will immediately apologize and say, you know, I shouldn't have said that, I miscommunicated that, that really wasn't, you know, correct, I notice the entire, you feel the forgiveness of the entire room. So I've, for a very long time, uh, been aware experientially that groups, you can have a relationship with a group. And this has been particularly um, interesting to me and has seemed particularly significant to me over the last few years because I live in a country where something has gone wrong nationally. It's like the psyche, you know, we're in a, in a, in a rough period. And speaking, you know, our, our late president, Abraham Lincoln, talked about the angels of our better nature. There are people who have made political hay of speaking to the lower, baser impulses of our country. And this is very this is very damaging. I mean, look what happened in Germany in the 1930s. When you have someone who speaks to the baser elements of a people, that's very dangerous, very dangerous potential. Hmm. So I am, uh, I, I am very interested in uh, what happens when you speak to the, to the higher mind, not just of an individual, but uh, of a nation. And, and I believe in my country. I believe that that we like any country. I mean, once again, all, the, all that a country is is a group of people. I mean, people are the same everywhere. And people have their baser instincts and people have their higher impulses. And it's really important that we speak to that higher impulse, not just in terms of individuals, but also in terms of the communities and the nations in which we live. That's, that's amazing. Um, I, uh, the Course in Miracles is quite a sophisticated text. You know, you and I have discussed how difficult I find it and I've got three degrees. So uh, when you say about talking to the smartest person in the room, I think with the Course in Miracles being such a, uh, a rich and complex text, somehow you had the gift of being able to take that in and be able to bring principles of higher consciousness from a sophisticated piece of writing and put it into such simple language and be able to communicate intelligence in a simple and and easy-to-digest way. And for some of us who have had an attempt at Course in Miracles and tried and, and felt that there was something special about its teachings but not being able to integrate it, can you... Tell us a little bit about its teachings and how it talks about there's only fear and love and fear is an illusion, so therefore there's only love, and how you're also bringing that to the political arena. Well, first of all, the Course in Miracles says complexity is of the ego. So I know that if you just look at the Course in Miracles, you know, you just open it up, you go, oh, my God, you know, this is thousands of pages of material. This is over 600 pages in the text. And then there are 365 days worth of workbook exercises. And then there's more. So it's, it's easy to look at it and think it's more complicated than it actually is. So it's actually been my great privilege in this lifetime to be able to popularize the message. And 
in the Course in Miracles, there's a point where he says, my way is not difficult. It's just very different. Well, he says my way is difficult. It's simply different. And that's, that's, that's interesting. The, these, the concepts in the Course in Miracles are not difficult in and of themselves. What's difficult is getting over our resistance to applying these principles on a practical basis, simply because they're so different, simply because they are a complete repudiation of the teaching of the world. So it goes like this. The world from the time we're born, because we base our perceptions of the world on our physical senses, we perceive space and time. And we perceive with our physical eyes that you're in your body and I'm in mine. And we perceive that you're over there and I'm over here. So we perceive ourselves as separate. And we have an entire... Uh, mindset based on this mental filter that speaks of separation. And within this world of separation, this world of the three dimensions of the physical bodies, there is scarcity. There are only so many um, resources. And so there is the seeming reality that if you have more, I have less. And if I have more, you have less and so forth. So there's a line in the Course in Miracles where it says, you are like sunbeams thinking you are separate from other sunbeams. You are like waves in the ocean hallucinating that you are separate from other waves. Now let's look at that. Let's look at the waves in the ocean. Really, if you think about it, there is no actual point at which one wave stops and another wave starts. But think of the psychological difference between identifying yourself as one separate wave versus identifying yourself as one with the ocean. If I think of myself as one wave in the ocean, how could I not be terrified of all the other waves? How could I not be terrified of the rest of the ocean? How could I not live in constant fear that I'm going to be obliterated by some other wave? But if, on the other hand, I think of my oneness with the rest of the ocean as my identity, then I experience myself psychologically and emotionally from a sense of empowerment and calm. I am one with the ocean. The ocean is one with me. The ocean moves, I move, I move, the ocean moves. That's really what this, the, the transition into an enlightened perspective is. It's a difference between identifying myself only as my body, only as my circumstances, only according to my successes or failures, only in terms of all circumstances such as other people's perception of me, uh, how I'm doing in the material world, whether I've been a success, what my money is, whether or not other people love me, versus identifying, really shifting my sense of self-perception to the spirit. I'm loved, you're loved, there's no place where you stop and I start. We are all ideas in the mind of God. We are only here to love, and the more we give, the more we get. Now, that's not a difficult concept. But once again, the resistance to actually applying that in any particular situation is what's difficult, although the more we do apply it, the more we see that's where the wins in life come from, and the ego separation-based perception is where the losses come from. Marianne, would now, you, way, would you on, say that it would be so, helpful? Yeah. Yeah, one, one thing I, I might add, because you asked about love and fear. Identifying according to the spirit means identifying according to love. Whereas a perception of myself as my total reality and my dominant reality being that of my body is one in which fear is prevalent. So that's where the difference between love and fear comes in. 
But the Course in Miracles says love is to fear as light is to darkness. So as long as I turn on the light, the darkness can't be there. And as long as I turn on the love, the fear can't be there. Now, the modern psychotherapeutic paradigm, and I think you and I have had this conversation, the, the modern dominant psychotherapeutic paradigm is one in which we seek to analyze the darkness, analyze the fear to get rid of the fear. But the Course in Miracles would say you can't analyze the fear to get rid of the fear. You, you, analyze, you get rid of the fear by turning on the love, replacing the fear-based thinking with the love-based thinking in the same situation and the fear is gone. And that is what the miracle is. The miracle is the shift in perception from fear to love. Ah, you preempted my question. What is the miracle? That's excellent. Can I just ask, uh, would, would it help if one was to shift their thinking from seeing themselves as a grain of sand to a wave? Because if you saw yourself as a grain of sand on the beach, you'd say, okay, all of us together make up the beach, but each grain of sand is individual. But if you're a wave, then you don't stop and start in any location. Is that a visual that might help people? If it's a visual that, that helps them, then that's the correct visual. You know, the, the spirit works through your subconscious mind. So the images that uh-huh. you get are the images that the spirit is showing you. The subconscious is amazing that way. And so you so, just, because that's, as you were speaking then, that's exactly what came to me. So thank you for saying that my subconscious mm-hmm. was guiding me there. But as I was listening to the answer, and this happens to me with every lecture that I attend of yours, I find that my mind starts expanding. It was like when I was driving through Sedona, Arizona, and I was listening to Einstein's theory of relativity and others. I felt my brain expanding. I felt my mind expanding. And whenever I listen to one of your lectures, I feel the expansion. And then it lasts for a couple of hours. And then the contraction returns. And I think that's why people find it hard uh, because I think the ego has that survival instinct in it and then we contract back a bit. So unless you're living it day by day as you do, it's quite hard to stay in that space in this dense three-dimensional world because it's quite a fifth-dimensional level that you're talking about, I think. Well, the mind is a muscle. And it's no different than physical muscles. If I work my muscles by an accumulation of anti-gravitational moves, then it builds the strength of my muscles. If I stop exercising, my muscles will go weak and flabby. Now, your spiritual musculature is the same. If you're not working on keeping it up through anti-gravitational uh, mental exercises, what is, the, what is mental gravity? Cynicism, anger, anxiety, depression, fear. What is anti-gravity? Positive thinking, blessing rather than blaming, accepting rather than judging, faith rather than a belief in scarcity. You build your spiritual musculature, and it's no different than your physical mus- muscles. If you stop doing it, your muscles grow weak. You know, it, it, you don't get to go to the gym, like what you see, and say okay, I don't have to do it anymore. It's daily maintenance. And same with your, with your spiritual muscles. We live in a world 
that is dominated by a fear-based thought system, and particularly with everything going on today. So if you are not consistently working your attitudinal muscles, then absolutely you will be at the effect of all the craziness and the anxiety and the stuff of the world. Now, then Big Pharma loves that one because of what I call the psychotherapeutic, psychopharmacological, industrial complex. Then they'll tell you you have an anxiety disorder. No, you don't have an anxiety disorder. The world has an anxiety disorder because some very, very serious problems are among us. The last thing we need to be doing is fogging ourselves, doing something to dissociate from the pain and the anxiety of it, The last thing we need to be doing is thinking things are okay when, in fact, they're not okay. Rather, we need to see the anxiety itself as a psychic pain, no different than physical pain, which is a message that we need to reset our thinking, just like you would get a message to reset your bone if you broke your leg. Hmm. And building spiritual musculature, I'm just wondering, I've never asked you this question, when, when did you first start? really taking a spiritual path seriously um did did were you born with this kind of intuitive thing or did you grow into it into your teens um how did you come into this into this path well i always had i always had a kind of religious temperament even from the time i was a little girl I always took God very seriously, my prayers at night very seriously, but it was in reading The Course in Miracles that I came to a metaphysical understanding that put together a lot of things that I'd been reading elsewhere but couldn't quite, quite I, I couldn't quite, I mean, The Course in Miracles is, doesn't have any kind of monopoly on truth. It's just one out of, you know, out of many um uh, statements of universal spiritual themes, but there was something about that one that allowed me, and it doesn't claim to be for everybody, but if it's for you, you know it. And what it did for me was that it um, showed me how to apply these principles on a practical basis. So I was in my 20s when I started reading The Course in Miracles, and that's when everything really just exploded for me, not only in terms of my intellectual understanding, which I already had quite a bit of because I was always reading books about things like this, but my ability to practice some of this in my life exponentially grew once I started reading The Course in Miracles. Uh, I don't know if you remember this. I, I think Marianne is one of the funniest speakers as well as one of the most brilliant, but you know, do you remember telling a story about when you first decided to go down this path and you told your mother and your mother said, so let me get this right, Marianne. <laughs> You're going to... Do you know that story? Would you? That's my favorite yeah. Yeah. story. Do you remember that story? Yeah. She said, okay, let me, get, let me get this straight. I said, okay. She said, You're going to stay in California because I was born and raised in Houston. I said, yeah. She said, and you are going to give lectures. And I said, yeah. And she said, about Jesus. No, I'm Jewish. And I went, well, yeah. And she said, to Gentiles. And I said, well, kind of. And she was silent for a long time. And then she said, what will you wear? <laughs> <laughs> I love that story. She was trying to be I love that her. story. I mean, what what could she say, really? I mean, (laughs) 
I love that story. So, so how, is that like does that sum up how your mum reacted to you going down this path? Or, and and what about your dad? He was a justice um, seeker. Uh, and um, how did he react? How did they both react father, when you went down this path? My father called me into my uncle's library one morning. We all gathered for breakfast, and he just looked at me and he said, "It's the same God, isn't it?" And I said, well, of course, Dad, it's the same God. I said, okay, because I don't want to hear it's some different God. I went, okay, no, 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 not at all. <laughs> and that was it. That was it. And then later, before <laughs> my father died, he had started listening to my tapes all the time and everything. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. That's it. How did Oprah discover you? When I wrote my first book, A Return to Love, there had been a – it's her birthday today, by the way. Um, so happy birthday oh to Oprah. Oh, my God. See? It was special. Yeah. Happy birthday, yeah. Oprah. Yeah. The world is certainly better that she's, she was born. So um, mm. there was a movie, and I can't remember the name of it. I think it might have been called Crash. It was about car crash. It was a very good movie, and it, and it basically was about these miracles that happened. So they were doing what – Whatever you do when you have a TV show and they're trying to find, you know, she wanted to do that theme. And so they were looking for books that might have that theme. And my publisher, timing, you know, being divine, right, synchronicity, my publisher had sent my first book called A Return to Love, Reflections on the Principles of a Course in Miracles. One of her producers said, well, here's this book kind of about a, a course in miracles. And Oprah, who is a big reader, saw it on the end of her desk and said, I'll take it home and read it this weekend. This was before she had a book club. And then I had the great honor and privilege of her uh, writing me, no, not writing me, of her then having me on her show and saying that it was the best book she'd ever read. I'm sure that's changed now. I'm sure she's read many books since then that have that category. And she bought a thousand copies for her uh, audience. And really, that day gave me my national career. So I owe my career to Oprah uh-huh. and remain eternally grateful. And crash. So you, you mm-hmm. think about manifesting for our good and the greater good of all. So I guess that flows on from what you were saying about the group is just a group of individuals. But since you're moving so much into um, global healing and greater awareness, how do we align our good with the greater good of all? Prayer and meditation. Meditate, meditate, meditate. Prayer and meditation, aligning, think of it this way. Think of the universe as a house that's already wired for electricity. It doesn't matter what the size of the lamp or the shape of the lamp, the color of the lamp, how old the lamp is. What matters is whether or not the lamp is plugged in. So anytime we pray, just really when you say may God's will be done, God is love and will is thought. So when you say in any situation may God's will be done, you're saying may loving thought prevail. As soon as you pray that loving thought prevail, because love is what joins us with others. You are not a separate being. You just think you are. And that is the great delusion of the world. Um, The Course in Miracles says, do not look to yourself to find yourself, but that is not where you are. You know, in the human body, every cell 
is guided through a natural intelligence to collaborate with every other cell to, to serve the healthy functioning of the organ and the organism of which they are part. Now, when a cell disconnects from its natural intelligence and instead goes off to do its own thing, that's called cancer. That is a malignancy in the body and it's also a malignancy in consciousness. When a cell separates itself off to go do its own thing, regardless of its collaborative function. So what has happened to the human race is that we have been infected by a malignant consciousness. And that consciousness is merely the thought, it's all about me. And that's the delusion of the world, that's the insanity of the world, and if we're not careful, that will be the destruction of the world. So, Marianne, would you say that your greatest message is the power of love would you you know and and, of course and would would you say yeah okay so here's here's the thing you talk about love and and for you love is this infinitely powerful force another one of my favorite sayings um of yours and i'm paraphrasing obviously i won't get it exactly right but i i think you said in the 20th century, uh, power was wielded by material wealth. In the 21st century, uh, power will come from the wealth of consciousness. He who wields the power of consciousness will wield the, power, the greatest power of all. And I love that saying. And I think consciousness and a consciousness of love is what you seek to bring um, everywhere. To, to, to those of us who understand, we think that's absolutely true. But when you hit with, you know, the base of thoughts or economic models, they talk about love as fluff. What do you do when you're confronted with people who say, oh, love, I don't believe in that. Love, give me some statistics and numbers. What's the bottom line? Where's your business case? What's this love thing? How do you approach that? Well, I think the world is really changing right now. And that kind of questioning is kind of old-fashioned. People who ask those kinds of questions um, are the ones who themselves are beginning to seem rather fringe today. I think that people are, are becoming much more aware on a mainstream basis that the thinking that dominated the 20th century is inadequate to the task of solving 21st century problems. So I think a more whole-person perspective is taking, um, taking shape in every field of endeavor. And I think the most intelligent people aren't so much questioning it as asking how to operationalize it. And we ourselves look old-fastened and we get defensive about it. There's, there's no time for that. That's just silliness. At this point, the only question is how do we operationalize it? How do we transform our institutions? How does business change when you realize this? How does psychotherapy change when you realize this? How does medicine realize when you realize this? How does education change when you realize this? How does science change when you realize this? How does politics change when you realize this? The zeitgeist of this moment, the impulse of this moment, is not whether or not it's true. The impulse of the moment, of the moment is how to make the changes fast enough to keep humanity from killing ourselves. Brilliant. And there's a re- revolutionary that I love in you revolutionary evolutionary consciousness marianne when when you speak about placing our future in the hands of god 
let's just get to pers- you know some personal stuff for people listening today. How do you maintain self-responsibility and accountability and also place your future in the hands of God? How do you maintain the both? Well, God's not outside us. So it's not abdicating personal responsibility to put your future in the hands of God. It's the ultimate taking of personal responsibility. God is a place in your consciousness, just as you are a place in his. So when I place the future in the hands of God, what it means is may, may my thinking be so aligned with that which would be the highest unfolding of highest good for all living creatures, past, present, and future, May that be my thinking in this moment, because every moment we are programming the future. So to place my future in the hands of God, among other things, means I'm not going to focus on the future, because if I'm focusing on the future, I am not being present in the present moment. The ego mind, which would throw us into chaos and fear, would always have us focused on the past or the, or the future as a way of avoiding a full experience of the present. The only way to be in a place to heal the past and reprogram the future along the highest trajectory is to, in the present moment, be fully present, rise to the occasion, seek to see the innocence in everyone you're thinking of or experiencing, and seek to be an instrument of love yourself. If you do that in the future, the, the, excuse me, if you do that in the present, then the future will unfold accordingly. But if your mind is focused anywhere else, then the future, whatever fracture there is between you and your most loving self, which is God, in the, in, which is the power of God, in the present, whatever fracture there is between you and that love in the present, to that extent, your future will appear to unfold in a fractured manner. Now, remember, the future never gets here. It's all in your mind. The only time we actually experience is the present. The past is in your mind, and the future is in your mind. And the ego mind wants you to focus on past and future so that you'll really avoid your life. Hmm. Terrific. You and I, as girlfriends, we talk about love and intimacy a lot. I'm just wondering what practical wisdom you can offer to women today about how to let themselves be loved, particularly if they're the kind of woman who's habituated to self-sacrifice and caretaking others. I have quite a few calling on breaking through for grace. How do we reverse this habit, embody the Aphrodite principle that you so articulately talk about, and allow ourselves to be loved. You know, there are two separate issues. One has to do with receiving love, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But the other has to do with this delusion of the modern Western woman that we're so great at caretaking, that we're so great at sacrificing. I don't know. I must live on another planet. If if the Western woman was so good at caretaking and so good at sacrificing, would 12,000 children be starving on this planet every day? If the Western woman was so good at sacrificing and taking care of everyone else, would the planet itself and the environment be in the position that it's in? If the Western woman was so good at sacrificing and taking care of everyone else, would wealth inequality be what it is? If the Western woman was so good at caretaking other people and sacrificing, would there be one billion people living in deep poverty on this planet? Where do we get this? Where do we get this self-congratulate? Where do we get this? I don't see it. 
I, I just don't see it. So that's number one, this idea that we're so giving. A lot of the giving that, that people do is from a kind of selfish place. If you're giving to get, that's not really giving. So that's my first thing. I can't really answer a question when I'm not enrolled in the premises of the answer. I mean, I can't really give an answer when I'm not enrolled in the premise at the heart of the question. Is that number well, one? Well, caretaking is, yeah. Yeah, Caretaking is a selfish act, even in the codependency. So, so yeah, absolutely. My, but people of, actually think. People actually think that they're giving. But that's my point. So let's call so them how on do that. They get rather out than, of that story. Than, well, wait a minute. But you, you, you heal by noticing. We don't heal by oh, mm-hmm. let me, let me, let me tell you how you need. I mean, it's just we really need to stop coddling that delusion among our in ourselves and among other women. But that's a separate issue from receiving and I and I think one of the reasons we codependently caretake as opposed to genuine nourishment and nurturing one of the reasons we do that is because we don't know how to receive so no matter how much we eat we're malnourished and that usually as you know as well as I do grace usually comes from daddy if the father you you know you're an expert on this stuff if daddy didn't cherish us when we were little it's like we didn't build the synapses that that say i'm being given love i shall open to receive it and um it's a terrible wound um and the only answer i know to that is reparenting and knowing that you know as my first therapist said to me god is your real father and god is your real mother and as you allow the divine parent to experience the, the, the love of the divine parent. You know, Grace, I've been through some very painful moments in my life. When I looked back at relationships with men and I realized the ways and the times in which he did give or he did try to give or he did show up or he did try to show up, but my brain bl- blocked it. My brain would not recognize it. It didn't come in the form I expected or it didn't come in the form that my ego was demanding it came in, which was my own inability to receive. But even that, this is why the Course in Miracles, this is, it's so interesting. This is why the bottom line is always to practice your own capacity to see your innocence in someone else. Because in the moment that I wasn't receiving someone's love, translate that means I was judging them. I was judging their love as not good enough. I was judging their behavior as not good enough. I was demanding that it look differently. And that's why you kind of bypass all that purely psychological stuff if you go right to the spiritual, which is, as The Course in Miracles says, only what you are not giving can be lacking in any situation. Is there a message to men uh, that you have around uh, giving and receiving love as well as to us women? Well, you know, you're in Australia, and I don't know where there might be some cultural differences here. Um, so I, I can't speak to that. I know in, in the United States, um, we're, we're at a really funky time. I, I, are you all going through this whole Me Too business like we are right now? Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah. You, you know, I'm concerned about it because I certainly support the Me Too movement. And I certainly, obviously, the sea change culturally that it represents is very important. But at the same time, I think that the power to accuse must be wielded mercifully and magnanimous. What's the word? With magnanimity. Magnanimously. 
Yeah, magnanimously. And I, and I, I fear that um, men are so confused between what's macho and what's um, just masculine. And so I, 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 I see so many men with a kind of soft underbelly because they're afraid to be masculine because they're afraid it's going to be called macho or even worse at this point. Um, so I'm going to leave the specifics of that. You're, you're one of the people I go to. Um, for the wisdom on a lot of those things, uh, the specific gender-based um, uh, advice and counsel on, on those issues beyond what I just said, I'm, I'm going to leave to the experts like you on that. <laughs> Thank you. You write. I would call you. I would call you with that question. You'd Did call you me that? with that one. Okay. Yeah. Good. Well, I'll tell people in another show about my opinion. Thank you. For people struggling with money and career, you wrote the law of divine compensation. For people struggling with depression and anxiety, you wrote Tears to Triumph. Before I ask you about the political journey you're on right now, would you give us some holy beliefs that you'd like um, to offer to people from, from each of those brilliant books? Well... What I was just saying before was that no matter what the question, love is the answer. The Course in Miracles says you think you have many different problems and you really only have one, but you really only have one, and that is your separation from God. So whether you're talking about relationships, let's say you're about to go out on a date. Let's say you just met somebody. Let's say you're married, whatever it is. Your power in that relationship will come from waking up that morning, every morning, praying for the other person's happiness, and asking to be an instrument of love in their life. Let's say you have a date tonight and you're really nervous about it because you really want it to go well with that person. Your, your greatest power lies in saying, dear God, I just want to be a space of love and possibility for this person. I'm not trying to get anything from them. I'm not trying to get any, make anything happen. I just want to be a space of love. It's, it's not even surrendering it to surrendering the outcome to God. It's more proactive than that. May I be a space in which this person feels more able to experience the fullness of their better self. May they feel in my presence approval. May they feel in my presence blessed. May they feel in my presence loved. May they feel in my presence permitted to be all that they are. Now, if you make that the guiding light and light means understanding. If that is the core thought form at the, at, at, at the basis of your personal relationships, at the basis of your career, career is a perfect example. You're either there for the love or you're there for the money. You're either there for the love or you're there for the prestige. You're either there for, to be an instrument of God's love or you're there for all the BS that modern society tells you it's all about today. It's one or the other. So if you make that to the extent to which you make that, the, the principle that guides you in any relation, because that's all that money is. That's all that, that a career is. It's another relationship, your relationship to money, your relationship to your career, your relationship to other people. So it all comes from the same root. And to the extent to which our root is, dear God, make me an instrument of your love, your love dear God, make me an instrument of your peace, then, then it will, it will, uplift all things to the level of divine right order. To the extent to which your thinking has you there for any other reason, you are casting yourself into that place of chaos and fear, that fracture I was talking about earlier. 
In, in terms of um, the world today, back in the 80s, we had the AIDS crisis and you worked tirelessly to help with that on, um, by founding Project Angel Food. You had a massive impact on the lives of AIDS sufferers and their families. And now in recent years, you've turned your energies towards a socio-political crisis and focused on the critical action needed to address the times in which we live, the revolution of consciousness required to create more sustainable and peaceful possibilities for us in the world. Would you please talk to us about Sister Giant, Your Love America tour and the energies, I mean, ever since you ran for, you know, for, for Congress and before then, this whole socio-political drive that, that you're currently um, in right now? Well, my country is in crisis, um, as I'm sure you know. I think the world knows. Um, there is a right wing and I don't mean conservative, I mean authoritarian right wing dictatorial um, impulse that is rising up in the world today. At the same time, you know, it's simultaneous with um, this spiritual uplift as well. And so, you know, you see it in England, you see it in France. Um, I don't know well enough the politics of um, Australia. But we have someone who represents, uh, in the United States today, a president who represents a a real authoritarian um, way of being and way of governing. And so our democracy is in a fight for its life right now. And I, like millions of other people, just want to do whatever I can uh, to contribute to the healing. It's very serious. And the Love America Tour, I'm going around the country and I'm having a conversation that hopefully helps to harness love for political purposes, just as our president and some of the people like him have harnessed fear for political purposes. Um, Warner Earhart said you can live your life out of circumstances or you can live your life out of a vision. And if we only live our life according to circumstances today, then we are in constant reaction because they're doing something every day. It's unbelievable. It's, it's a real shock and awe assault on the foundations of American democracy. But as important as it is that we respond uh, to the problems, it's equally important that we articulate uh, another kind of vision for my country. And so I am on the Love America tour seeking to do that. Um, people can go to loveamericatour.com. Um, I'm feeling good about it. Uh, I live in a huge country, as you know. Uh, I've been to Richmond, Virginia, and Las Vegas, and Houston, and Austin. Um, and I'm going this month to Oklahoma City and to... Um, uh, with Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and we've got Detroit on the uh, on the list, and Pittsburgh, and all kinds of places. And it makes me happy to feel that we are contributing some higher-minded thought forms in the midst of the toxicity that's that's all around right now. And when you were in Houston over a week ago on your Love America tour. Uh, you asked the white members of your audience to take the hand of an African-American standing next to them and apologize for the hate and racism they've suffered. Uh, 
back in 2008, um, under Prime Minister Kevin Rudd, Australia did a formal apology uh, to its Indigenous people. Uh, do you feel that at any point, obviously not under current leadership, but do you feel at any point America might take uh, make such a formal apology to its Indigenous people and um, also to um, all uh, people that have suffered at the hands of the white autocracy? Well, I don't know what's going to happen um, on the part of the government, but I know that even if it were to happen on the part of the government, if it didn't happen in the hearts of the people, it wouldn't matter that much anyway. And if it does happen in the hearts of the people, then whether or not the government goes there will matter less. Um, as you, there is an article that obviously you're referring to that's in the Houston Chronicle about a racial apology that I did in Houston. I thought it was a very finely written article. Um, I've done that apology around the country. Um, you know, look, let's both be honest. Neither Australia nor the United States rank really high on this issue. Um, the way other people see us. Yeah, no. I mean, you know, one apology does not a complete healing make. So, you know, in your country and in mine, there are the forces which want to move us forward, and there are the forces, obviously, that have not given up yet on some uh, racist attitudes and, and, and um um, you know, a force of not only consciousness but politics and economics. All we can do is is do what we can. I think that the issue of race in the United States is like many other issues. The race is on, you know, no pun intended. We're in the middle of a great, um, great contest, and I see some of the worst. Uh, America, this is the history of my country anyway. We've always been a contest between some of the baser instincts of humanity uh, as in genocide of Native Americans, slavery, and so forth, and also home to the most enlightened principles of democracy and human possibility. We have always been that contest. Now, over time, America does tend to self-correct. Over time, America does need to move, uh, tend to move forward. We had abolition. We had women's suffrage. We had the civil rights movement. But right now, we're in the middle of such a deciding moment. Um, we have subconsciously reverted to a to an aristocratic paradigm. Uh, you can call it the corporatocracy or plutocracy or oligarchy. Uh, and the only cure for that is a real pro-democracy movement. And I think a lot of people uh, since the election of our president have really woken up. A lot of people. And you know, Grace, the higher consciousness community has a lot to a lot to look at itself. Um, a lot of people from a kind of faux spiritual perspective have used this kind of artificial spirituality as a kind of justification for political disengagement. Now, this has no spiritual legitimacy whatsoever because there's no serious spiritual or religious path that gives any of us a path on addressing the suffering of other sentient beings. But even in the higher consciousness community, there's a rising up, there's people recognizing this, and, um, you know, we're in the middle of a struggle right now. We have midterm elections in November of this year, and then we have a presidential race in 2020. So uh, hopefully all would of the Would you consider become... running for office again, Marianne? Yeah, I would consider it. But I'm playing with all that in my heart right now. I'm reflecting, I'm thinking, and I'm, I'm – uh, I'm like everybody else I know, you know, just praying that I might be used in the highest way possible. 
Well, you've already made incredible contributions to the planet. And just before I ask you to close with a prayer and thank you so much, I just would like to ask if there's one caller that might want to call in so they get a chance to ask you a question or thank you for the contribution. Nicole, is there anybody um, who'd like to call on that would just speak to Marianne for? We've only got a, a minute or two. But yeah, we'll just give them a chance actually, to call I, I in. I like to ask a question. We do have callers, but it's going to be all over the place. Like, you know, what's my <laughs> what's my future? Can I have a reading? So let's get really specific. Um, Marianne, nice to hear your voice again. It's I don't know if you remember me, but you probably don't. But it, I talked to you when I first started broadcasting out of Vancouver 18 years ago. And also I came over and covered the two first two Alliance for the New Humanity events in Puerto Rico. Met you there briefly. Ah, okay. So, yeah, so we're pioneers hanging in there, all of us, doing this great work. And, and I love um, that you're doing this tour. Um, I'm in Canada. Predominant audience that you're speaking to right now is across the U.S. and 222 other countries around the world. And we're all feeling absolutely bowled over going on in the States. And... Um, as empaths, as intuitives, as conscious people, what is the best way to maintain our own power, not get bowled over by this, not start creating what we don't want because we're getting bowled over by this energy? How are you doing this? What are we? What can we do to get through this the best way? Well, the most important thing to do is to maintain and protect the democracy in your own country. Um, each of us have a kind of karmic assignment, and that has to do with your own ethnicity, your own culture, your own na- nationality, etc. You were assigned to Canada. I was assigned to the United States. So uh, you have Canadian, obviously you have Justin Trudeau, etc. So the, the first thing you need to do is make sure your own country is cool. And, and secondly, uh, pray for us. Uh, I think even people who, who don't particularly like the United States know that uh, the world will not be a better place if American democracy goes down. Um, Mm. And uh, I think that uh, the more good energy you send us, uh, the better. Um, We are going through a kind of epic struggle at the moment, and all prayers are appreciated. We'll get there. You know, the United States, I think that people know this about us. Sometimes Americans are very slow to wake up. But once compared to other people, because we're, we've got so much to distract us and to amuse ourselves and disengage and all of that. But I think the rest of the world also knows that when we do wake up, we slam it. We slam it like nobody's business, and we're going to slam it. We're, we're going to handle this. We will get over this. this is, uh, we will get through this. I, uh, we had slavery in my country, but then we had abolition. Women couldn't vote, but then we had the women's suffrage. We had segregation, but then we had civil rights. This is not the first time America's gone off course. The only question is whether or not my generation will be too, will wimp out on the job of putting it back uh, on course. And I, I feel very strongly that I will. And if you will join with me in that conviction, that's the best gift you can give us, is to mm-hmm. share uh, my faith that uh, we're going to handle this. Uh, the hour is late, but uh, it, it's not midnight yet. It's the 11th hour, and uh, just uh, uh, believe in the best of who we are and uh, hope for our sake and for the sake of the world that uh, America wakes up to its better self. Mm-hmm. And thank well, you for that. Thank, thank you, you for Nicole. All of us. Thank you, Marianne. Marianne, there's so many 
events that you've got. I, I don't know whether to specifically ask you if you'd like to mention a specific event or to just direct people to your website. Uh, what would you prefer? Well, p- thank you. People can go to Marianne.com, M-A-R-I-A-N-N-E, and they can also go to LoveAmericaTour.com and um, uh, check out what we're doing and join me on the tour. And uh, I'd be grateful and privileged. And people can also sign up on my and, mailing list. And uh, then, you know, I'll let you know where we are. And there's someone who's been in the room with Mary Ann when she holds audience. It really is a completely, it's a, it's a field of energy. It's a force field of higher vibration, higher consciousness. It's absolutely beautiful. Not only is she beautiful to look at, very, very funny, very, very brilliant, and very, very generous, but she's a genius and a revolutionary, and it's it's so wonderful to have had you on the show. Marianne, would you please lead us out with a prayer, and for those of you who want my assignment, it will be posted on the website. It will be about um, looking at some Marianne Williamson quotes, uh, but now I'd love to Thank you so much, Marianne, and ask you to lead us out with with one of your wonderful prayers. Thank you so much, Grace. Dear God, thank you for all of the paths that have led us to this moment in our lives. We surrender to you all that has been. We atone for our mistakes and seek to forgive others for theirs. In this moment, may your hands be upon us, heal our wounds, remove our defects, lift us up above and beyond the turmoil of the world and of our former selves. And thus, dear God, may our lives begin again. Dear God, bless our hostess, bless Grace, bless all those who work with her on this program. May it be in all ways an instrument of comfort and peace. And may her work continue to provide light and healing and empowerment to all those she touches or even thinks of in her ministry of truth. And so it is together we all say, amen. Amen. Thank you, Marianne. I love you. Safe travels. I love you and too, see you honey. soon, I hope. Take care. Thank Bye you for having me. Bye, honey. Thank you. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you so much for hosting. And um, till next time, just remember your breakthrough is imminent and your life can be amazing when you understand the workings of your psyche. Goodbye, everyone. You're now tuned in to Nicole Whitney's News for the Soul Highlights. Life-changing spotlight moments of her empowering talk radio network. Founded in January 1997. To hear the full shows totally free, visit newsforthesoul.com. That's newsforthesoul.com, where we've been broadcasting unparalleled moments with teachers on the leading edge of the human consciousness journey since January 1997. Go to newsforthesoul.com to find out more. That's newsforthesoul.com.